Welcome to The Twelfth Story, a podcast from the Mercantile Library where readers have gathered since 1835 to connect, debate, and discuss. I'm Hilary Copsey, book advisor at the Mercantile, and today we're talking about The Hate You Give, the novel that YWCA Greater Cincinnati is asking everyone across Greater Cincinnati to read this winter as part of its new regional book discussion series, Real Reads. The YWCA is partnering with local libraries, bookstores, and universities to present community conversations across the Cincinnati region, exploring the effects of interpersonal and structural racism on our culture and society. Real Reads offers an opportunity to read, talk, and listen to others, to engage in real talk and connect across differences. Joining us on the 12th story is Olivia McKinney, a teacher at Withrow High School who will be leading several of the YWCA Real Reads conversations about The Hate You Give. She's been teaching Angie Thomas's novel to her high school students for several years. The book follows 16-year-old Star after her best friend is killed by a police officer during a routine traffic stop. So, Olivia. <laughs> Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, I'm curious, why did you start teaching The Hate You Give? I had actually just finished reading it for fun during my um, grad program at Johns Hopkins, and I walked into my literature class, and my teacher had it sitting on his desk, and he's like, all right, this is the next thing we're going to conquer. And you know, when you read stuff recreationally, you don't think about how you could teach it because you're trying to navigate it for the first time. And going through that in class and like having him pick out different things in certain chapters and being able to show that, you know, we could teach it and how we could teach it and how it would impact our students, especially in the 6th through 12th grade spectrum, made me really curious. So I did it for the first time with my 8th graders, and they loved it. And so from 8th grade, we did 10th grade last year with my co-teacher, and we told them if they go see the movie, they got extra credit. And majority of the class went to see the movie after we read the book and we had discussions about it. So yeah. I'm doing it this year again with my 11th graders. Our new unit is Power, Protest, and Change. And so we're about to conquer it one more time. So I want to get into all of that, but I guess to back up a little bit. So you mentioned that you picked it up recreationally for fun. Um, if people don't know, this book was a kind of a cultural phenomenon, right? Like, how did you yeah. find the book to begin with, I guess? We should probably start there. But I don't... How did I find it? Um, honestly, I think I got it in Target. And there was a moment there. It just seemed to be everywhere. Yes. And it was like, this was Angie Thomas's first book. You have no idea who Angie Thomas was. Mm -hmm. But then you started to see that it was popping up on banned book lists. And you were reading the synopsis. And you're like, what? Like, how is this ending up banned in some school districts? And it really kind of felt ripped from the headlines, right? I mean, the book follows this 16-year-old girl. Who um, gets in the car with her friend. They get pulled over. Friend ends up being shot by a police officer. And then 16-year-old girl has this, like, coming-of-age moment where she struggles to figure out who she is and how she can navigate the two worlds that she lives in. And she's already kind of navigating two worlds, right? Like, she's, she's from a working-class black community mm -hmm. but her parents have worked really hard to send her she and her um, siblings to a white private school which is like 30 minutes from there right <laughs> so she's already dealing with um, code switching constantly yes. right so she's got a lot going on and then she gets embroiled in this very um, <laughs> very I mean, difficult situation I mean just 
seeing your friend get killed is bad enough, but then of course there's the legal issues that ensue and what she's going to do. There's there's a lot there to pick through, and yet you mentioned you were reading it recreationally. It is a f- it's a fun book. It was it was really <clears throat> good because reading it. Like, so my mom's a cop. So when she started talking to her uncle, who is a cop and a detective in their local precinct, it was like she didn't understand the Star. gravity of the... Yeah, Star didn't understand the gravity of the situation. Truly. Like for me, it was like, okay, you get that your friend just died and was murdered. But then you have your uncle, who is a black man, trying to be a detective in the same district as the cop that shot your friend, and now he has to go to work and figure out how to navigate this space where one of his fellow officers just pointed a gun at his niece. Mm -hmm. How do you go to work every day and do that? And that was something where I, like, put the book in my mom's hand, and I was like, you need to read this, because what? Okay, so why did you feel harassed? Because, like, I don't know, having to do this is... Just because you black, I just feel like they just think you're guilty or something, bro. Okay, do you remember the first time you got stopped? How many times have you been stopped? Like, three times. Okay, do you remember what you felt the first time? The first time? Nah, they, I don't know, they just, I don't trust them. <laughs> I don't trust them, I be feel like they gonna try to kill us one day. Okay, so why do you feel like that? So why because do they, they be approaching us with their guns, talking about they looking for guns. Like, what? Okay, I get that. So, let me ask you this. When you were growing up, did your mom or your uncle, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, anybody, did anybody ever have, like, a police talk with you? Like, were they nah. ever like, Edgar, when you go out in the street, you get stopped, this is what you do? Nah. So it you- just, I just already knew just by watching it and just experiencing it. Like, okay, knew. so what would you tell somebody like Chaney who's never been stopped? Like, if Chaney got stopped... What would you tell him to do? He's about to relax and keep his hands. Let him see his hands. Okay, so and relax. See. Let him let him see your hands or get shot. All right. Okay. And so that's really getting into one of the reasons I feel like the YWCA picked this book in the first place. It starts all these conversations, right? With everyone. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just a coming-of-age teen novel. Everyone can find something in the book that sparks their interest to want to discuss and to dig deeper into and say, okay, why are things the way they are? Why is this, like you said, such a hot topic and ripped from the headlines? Why are we seeing this so much? Why would she write a book about it? And why would that book be so powerful? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, Let's. you mentioned that reading it recreationally, even though it did spark all those thoughts <laughs> and conversations, was really different than reading it and teaching it and and, and um, intentionally talking about it. Can you speak to that differences? It's like, okay, let's think about Star and the motif of silence and code switching, like you mentioned. So Star starts off as being, or as she calls it, you know, she's Star at home, but at school, she's Williamson Star quoting that off the top of my head. I hope that's right. She's she's two different people mm-hmm. and she has to navigate both of those worlds but she's not being her authentic self. So the first thing she does is retreat and not use her voice. So being able to look at the different ways that Star is basically living two lives 
and using that to teach motif, using that to teach, you know, okay, this is how the power of your voice can spark change or can, you know, push a protest. It's different than just saying, oh, okay, like, oh, star, you're not using your voice. Oh, my God, I'm so happy at the end of the book. She's using her voice. But being able to show, you know, at the beginning, star wasn't her true self, but by the end, this is who she was. So let's look at that journey. How Mm -hmm. does she get here? What things propel her along the way? What conflicts does she deal with? And how does that change who Star is as a person? Or does it even change Star as a person? And what does she, like, how does she navigate those spaces? I'm curious. um, So you've read this in classes with kids aged, you know, 13, 14, up to 17, 18. What has their response to this book been? The younger kids, the Baltimore younger kids, kind of understood what was happening. They'd seen it before, of course, with Freddie Gray mm-hmm. and um, just the violence that was happening in their own cities. So they knew about police brutality. They knew the different situations. But for them, it was like, well, what's the, what's the point? Like, why would she even do that? What is she? Nothing's going to change anyway. When I read it with the high schoolers here, it's much different because the kids are like, oh, I understand why she was upset when she got pulled over. I understand why she opened up and said, you know, she was upset. Why are you pointing your gun at my friend? He's not doing anything. But they could also relate to, okay, no, why are you moving? Mm. Stop moving. Like the cop is giving you directions, follow directions, do what you're supposed to do. We can go home. Mm-hmm. And it's seeing that thought process between the ages where the kids are like, they can relate to Star and Khalil's situation. They can relate to being a different person at home versus at school. They're connecting it to their own lives. Yes. And, and then talking to you <laughs> about that. Yes. And we talk about code switching a lot. And code switching, I think, was something very heavy for them to grapple with because I don't think a lot of people notice that they code switch. They just do it. It's just a matter of course. It's that inherent ability to just click over and know in what environment you're in and how to be. So then in, in reading this book, they're, they're finding a name for this thing that they're just inherently doing. Mm-hmm. What does that do for them then, to have a name like that, to have a, a, a label to put on their behavior? I think then it makes you question why. Why do we code switch? What is the point in code switching? Why... What in our environment makes us just do it? Like, why does it just click? So you're taking them from, this is just something I do, to, oh, there's a name for that thing that I do, mm-hmm. to, oh, this is a why I might do that. Let's talk about the world and the things around me and all the things that are shaping my perception and my reality. And that's how we get into discussions about the biases. So why is there explicit bias? What does explicit bias look like? Okay, well, what is implicit bias? What does implicit bias look like? Oh, now there's a name for these actions I see people do or these little stereotypical comments I hear people make. Oh, that's what that is. So maybe that's why subconsciously and unconsciously I just switch Mm -hmm. because I don't want to be in the stereotype. I don't want to continue to convey that picture, that image that some people in society have of me already and they don't know me. And the flip side of that is, oh, that's that's a bias I have that I didn't know that I had, maybe. Are you seeing that as well? Yes. So, 
the funny way I found to put it to my kids was thoughts you didn't know you had. Mm-hmm. And the kids are always like, I always know what I'm thinking. And it's like, <laughs> no, this is a thought you had that you didn't know you had because you weren't explicitly taught it. It just was something you picked up on from society. And they're like, oh, okay. And I think it's different for my students because we come from a predominantly black school. And so you have to flip it from, okay, these are the black stereotypes to what are the stereotypes you have about other races? What are the stereotypes you might have about yourself? What, when you see it, are you able to call it out? Or is it just something so natural that you say it and you don't even notice you say it and mm-hmm. you went on past it? All right, you ready? Okay, Miss Ross Sparrow. Have you ever been stopped by the police? Yes, ma'am. Okay, do you remember how you felt the first time? Um, for the first time, I felt like I should listen to them or something bad will happen to me. Something bad, like what? Like, basically, like, probably get arrested. Okay. Or, like, probably get a gun put to me or put me down. Okay. Did your parents, so mom, dad, sister, aunt, whoever, did anybody ever have a talk with you about what to do when you're stopped by the police? Yes, but not really. Do you remember what they said? Basically, they said, if the police try to approach you, basically, do not run. That's the first thing you shouldn't do. (laughs) Okay. And secondly, if... If they basically telling you to do something, you should do it. Like, even if it is, you feel like it's wrong, like, I guess it's right in their court. Okay. Do you, do you, knowing what you know now, do you agree with that? Like, if I just do whatever they tell me to do, I'll be okay. I'm going to make it back home today. I'm safe. I don't agree with that. Why not? Because I feel like if... They tell you to do something, and you do it. They probably feel some type of like they probably react a different way. Of like you just told me to do this, like so. In the case, anything can happen. Okay, so what would you tell? What would you tell Anaya if she had never been pulled over or stopped, pulled over, whatever? If she has never encountered the police before, what would you tell her to do? Don't run. Okay. The first thing you should do is just approach them like, basically, you should approach them like nothing is happening. Like, even if you did do something, you shouldn't run. Don't run. Never, never, ever cross the run for the police. Okay. What else did you say? So she shouldn't run, and then what? Um, do what they say. Even though I do not agree with it, they should do what they say. So those are all really heavy conversations to be having. I mean, that's, I think, the goal with this Real Reads discussion, right, is to get beyond the platitudes (laughs) and surface level and into those sort of deep, um, the deeper conversations of, you know, these are our biases and these are the things that we're having. So how, um, how do you see yourself is navigating those conversations between people of different backgrounds and different perspectives? I think it's just making it real for them. So one of the things that, um, or one of the questions was um, something along the lines of Star begins to use her voice. And the first thing I could think of was connecting that back to our own city. And 
most people remember the Timothy Thomas riots of 2001, but a lot of people have kind of forgotten that that happened here. And that was the second largest urban disturbance after the 1992 LA riots. There was Cincinnati, and we didn't have another big one until three years ago now, um, with the Charlottesville riots in Virginia. So it was like something major happened here, and we just kind of glossed over it, like mm -hmm. nothing ever happened. So I think to bring that back to the forefront and say, like, guys, this happened in our own city. This was something real for us here. How do we navigate making sure we don't, you know, bring that back? Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that we can find a way to have good relationships between everyone and the police? And this is a book that kind of brings to life various people that might have been in that sort of situation, right? Mm -hmm. So it's certainly not the same people by any means, <laughs> no. but it's people who were in a similar mm -hmm. type so like situation. Khalil was 16 in the book. Timothy Thomas was 19. Mm -hmm. The kids that read this book, for instance, my students, they're 16, 17. And with all of the violence that has happened in our city recently, a lot of them have lost a friend or a brother, a cousin, a family member, what have you. And it's like, that makes it real to them. A lot of them have been stopped by the police in their neighborhood. This is real to them to say, okay, well, what do you do when you're stopped? Mm -hmm. How do you navigate that situation? What happens? Is that a surefire way to remain safe? So I think when you start to have those conversations and you start to really dig deep, you connect a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. Those personal stories can really do a, a lot of that work, right? To yeah. really listen to people and hear what they're experiencing. Yes. Empathy. It's a yeah. big thing. Okay. Have you ever been stopped by the police? Yeah. Do you remember what you felt the first time? Yeah. What did you feel? Nervous. Why? Because. Because it's not an answer. Because what? <laughs> because it's just like, it's, it's like a, a, a thing, like, when you see police, it's like, it's always something bad happening, or something bad going happen. Okay, so it's just like automatic. Yeah, it's just like, bad. put your guard up, like, put yeah. your, put your, Okay, put your guard up, I like that. All right, did your mom, dad, uncle, nope. nobody ever had to talk with you? Mm -hmm. So how do you know what to do when you're approached by the police? Experience. Okay, so what in that experience told you? Because I seen one of the dudes that was with us, he got roughed up, and I didn't want that to happen to me, so I thought, okay, I'm going to listen to everything they say, and I ain't going to run. And I see them on your table, too. That's crucial. Okay, so what would you tell somebody who has never been stopped by the police in order to make sure nothing happens to them, this is what you should do? Uh, one, learn your rights, and two, uh, listen to them. Nothing. I was waiting on you to finish. Oh, I'm <laughs> you finished? Yeah. Do you think that it will always work? No. Why not? Because some sometimes cops just crooked. Mm. Okay. So it's just that off chance that yeah, you just got to... Yeah, that chance that you, you might be doing anything they say and they just still try to get you there. All right. Um, have you... You mentioned that you gave this book to your mom. You've been teaching it for a few years now. Um, have you had other conversations kind of across generations about this book? Yes. So, uh, Miss Liza read it, and then she gave it to her daughter. <laughs> and we talked about it. Um, I talked to my mom about it. And 
it was like we had we all had various conversations of why. So, okay, they got into a car, they got pulled over. Why did you reach for a brush? Mm-hmm. Why didn't you just follow directions? Okay, but now are you victim blaming? Well, maybe not. But to see how everyone's minds work differently throughout our various generations is it's really interesting mm-hmm. because you do get the older generation, and I'll just speak from my experience, that will say, well, why did you move? You didn't follow directions. You didn't follow directions. That's kind of your fault. Mm-hmm. This is the outcome. And then you have uh, myself and my generation who says, well, what did you get? Like, why was he pulled out of the car in the first place? Mm-hmm. Because a taillight or a license plate is not a reason for you to tell me to step out of the vehicle. That's just something simple that can be a ticket or a citation, a warning. You just go on. Mm-hmm. So to see how everyone's minds work when they engage with that book, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. What is your best advice for um, for someone coming to this book, maybe not even for the first time, but reading it either for the first time or really reading it again for one of these discussions? What is your best advice for them? Related to your life. So look at it authentically and say, okay, if I was 16-year-old star, how would I have reacted? If I had a friend like Haley or a friend like Maya, how would I have dealt with that relationship? If I had a boyfriend like Chris or, you know, Sakani, Seven, you know, with all of those different relationships, how would you have reacted? How would you have gone about living your life? And do you code switch? Do you have, you know, your own person and then your work person or your (laughs) gym person or whatever spaces you may go to? Are you the same person in all of those places? Why or why not? Do you feel like you're trying to be someone else or just a different version of you? Because then I think that unlocks a lot more to the book than just... Oh, I'm just reading it for fun. Mm-hmm. Because you see different different things. And I think that happens in a lot of books when you reread it and you see it from a different lens. Right. And then there's going to be a whole slew of discussions <laughs> all over the region, right? So yes. they kick off... February 4th. Right. Um, and then we'll be having one here at the Mercantile Library that you'll be leading yes. on February 20th. Uh, and then they'll go on throughout March, and then everything culminates March 31st, right? With a movie viewing at Xavier. Yeah, Xavier University. And there'll be a panel discussion. We're hoping to get some teens to sit on that yes, panel. I so. really want some. I think they should do that. <clears throat> as well as law enforcement and some other folks um, to really kind of hit all those various viewpoints from the book. Um I don't want to have more spoilers than we've already had <laughs> here, so maybe uh, people will have to come to one of the discussions, but I, I'd be curious to hear your favorite part of the book, so they'll have to come to the discussion here at the Mercantile to find out. Oh, that's hard. Um, again, that's February 20th, 5 to 7 p.m. All of these discussions are free and open to the public. Uh, we're really just trying to get more people to be reading and thinking. 
Um, until then, thank you for joining us on The 12th Story. To make sure you catch every episode, subscribe through iTunes or SoundCloud, and your good words are better than any advertisement. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends or tweet to us at Mercantile LIB. Today's podcast was directed and engineered by Chris Messick. Our theme music was created by Doug McDermott. Very special thanks to our guest, Olivia McKinney. Remember to check out the full schedule of YWCA Real Reads discussions of The Hate You Give at www.ywcacincinnati.org. The Twelfth Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. The Literary Center of Cincinnati, the Mercantile, is a 184-year-old working library with more than 80,000 books available to members. The library organizes book discussion groups and writing workshops and welcomes thousands every year to its author talks, lectures, and other civic events. Harriet Beecher Stowe and Herman Melville, Colson Whitehead, and Zadie Smith all have spoken at Mercantile events. Visit us online at mercantillelibrary.com where you can learn about and register for all our upcoming events or stop by the library. We're at 414 Walnut Street in downtown Cincinnati, and we always welcome new members and guests. You belong here. <laughs>